Hello and welcome to Mark Pearson's Property Profits. This particular episode is looking into why should you use a broker? Why would you want to use someone like myself uh, rather than going direct to the developer, for instance? What are the pluses and minuses of doing so? And importantly, how can you actually tell when a good broker is a good broker and what do you look for to find a bad broker? This is off the back of a article I was reading over the weekend and it was a Norwegian reality show which pitted cows defecating into a field against stock brokers and astrology and some beauty bloggers. Uh, this was actually, the farmer actually cut his field up into different stocks. Uh, wherever the cow defecated, that's the stock they picked. Obviously the pros were slightly disconcerted by the competition, but needless to say, the astrologist did the worst, slightly underperforming the Norwegian stock market over a three month period. After three months, the pros managed to beat the index, but effectively did just as well as the cows who managed to pick some or one particular stock that performed very well. And actually the beauty bloggers who had no idea about the stock market and didn't actually know which companies they were investing into performed 10% over the market within a three month period. I think the presenters actually won at the end, although they'd managed to uh, use 20 different portfolios. So uh, overall, I think the beauty bloggers won that particular competition, which undermines the stockbroker's work in many ways. Sort of gives us a bit of an insight into short-term trading and the pitfalls within that. Now, obviously, the brokers argue that over it, it's being able to be consistent over a long-term basis. But the reason I raised the story is to be able to talk about brokers within my own industry and the differences between maybe brokers that you've worked in within the stock market before we get into how to actually pick the right broker or not use a broker at all. Now, thankfully, within my industry, we don't work on trends in, the, in short-term trends. We look at long-term trends. So we look at growth. We use, we, we're able to use historical numbers over many years and we're investing for many years, at least two years in terms of our investments. Within that time frame, there's obviously fewer fluctuations within the market, allowing less extreme, but much more consistent returns. But I guess the first question is, why would you want to use a broker? I mean, ultimately we get paid. And logically you might think that by circumventing a property broker, you'll be able to negotiate a lower price due to the broker's margins being taken out. Now, in some cases, this may be correct. I, I can't say that that's never happened. What I would say with the market, however, is that it works slightly differently to how you may perceive it. First of all, developers traditionally are focused on developing property, not necessarily on the sales function of their business, although many in modern times do have a sales function. The problem is, however, is they do rely on brokers, either property brokers, IFAs, private wealth funds, to be able to use their experience in the market and be able to reach out to clients to ultimately sell the developer's properties. Even looking at some of the largest developers in the UK, the actual volume of sales that they do through introducers, brokers, 
far outweighs the amount of sales that they do for themselves, which ultimately makes them reliant on the broker market for them to be able to sell their properties. Now with this in mind, often what that presents is maybe counterintuitively, a better opportunity for investors to get discounts via their broker. This is for two reasons. The first and primary reason is that the developer being so reliant on their introducer networks cannot be seen to be offering discounts over and above that which the brokers can offer. The reason being is what they will find, although they might may sell very well for the first sort of development, what they'll find is if they're undercutting the people who feed them, the introducers, the brokers, the private wealth firms, IFAs, etc., what they'll find is those introducers won't work with them again. Ultimately, if the developer undercuts the market, they're biting the hand that feeds. They're embarrassing the broker networks in being able to offer larger discounts, taking their clients, but never being presented with clients again. And so there's a relationship between developers, management companies, and brokers, whereby we have to work together to be able to give the best results for clients, which means from the broker's position, they want to be able to offer the best discounts possible. Now, second to this is that you may also not have thought about the economy of scale in terms of negotiating with a developer. Using my own example, my company is one of the largest introducers of clients globally to uh, European developers and also my own position is that I'm one of the largest brokers in terms of delivering clients to developers and when a developer is negotiating with myself they are not just trying to help with this one particular client or one particular deal they're also trying to make sure that our long-term relationship is looked after and that they continue to get the volume of sales that they have done historically through us. Now this may mean in terms of sort of uh, price reductions or extra bits in terms of during the negotiation, but importantly also it, it helps when things go wrong. So if, there's a, if, if your personal circumstances change, they have much more incentive to look after you when they know that there's a big company behind you who are demanding support for their clients. Now this isn't always, you know, each developer's different, each development's different, and every broker's different. But overall, that tends to be how the market works. So with a good broker, you shouldn't ever see your price point being higher than it would be going direct to the developer. And with a good broker, the other thing that I think is really important is getting the due diligence from them. So most, some brokers are tied to developers, um, but a good independent broker who isn't tied to a particular developer will be able to say, for instance, one of this developer's projects is very good and I don't like the other one. Maybe financially it doesn't stack up quite as much. Maybe that, that particular developer's not bought quite as well on that particular development. So they can pick and choose between developers. They don't have to stick with one developer. And also they can then deliver you the due diligence that they've done to come to those opinions. Which brings us on to, look, how do we pick a good broker? Um, if you do choose to go down the broker route, fine. Obviously, you know, you're welcome to speak to me. Uh, I'd quite happily tell you who are the good and bad brokers. And obviously, I put our company at the very top end of that, in and amongst some of the PLC brokers in the market. And that's primarily down to the due diligence work that we do at Baron & Cabot. 
But the nature of this podcast isn't to try and sell our company, it's really to educate. So when we look at a broker, or if even if I look at a broker, so I often speak to clients who are speaking to other brokers, and I'll naturally be looking into what that broker does if I don't know already. Like with any market, you get to know who are the good brokers, who are the bad brokers, who are the ones that are actually trying to add value to clients, who are the ones that are looking after the market. And what tends to happen is that the good brokers will look after each other, the good brokers will talk to each other and work with each other now and again to try and help clients out. The good brokers will work with good mortgage brokers and so you'll get a good understanding through if, if your mortgage broker says, well, those are good guys, then that's often helpful. If, you're, if you have an independent financial advisor, they'll often work with the good brokers. They don't want to work with bad brokers because it reflects badly on them as well. But if you don't have the luxury of these sorts of people to speak to, then the first thing that I'd do is, is really just have a little research about the broker themselves. So for instance, you've gone on Google or you've received one of these emails that we all get. Um, I get them obviously daily with a property that you think, well, that looks quite good. You know, this looks like quite a good property. Let me investigate it. And you send your response back to the email. You get a call from a broker. So the first thing that you should do is really have a look at their website. And what to do is have a look at what types of properties they are selling. So are they selling really high yield properties? Are they selling stock that doesn't look very good, that feels wrong to you? Because if a broker is prepared to offer one bad development, it probably means that they are not doing their due diligence and aren't overly concerned about other developments. It may well be that the development that you think looks good actually isn't that great. So have a look at the type of stock that they're holding. Is it quality products? Don't look for, is it massive returns? Because ultimately, the best actual products, the ones that really work, often don't have the headline marketing figures that the poor ones do. Also, when speaking to your broker, ask for information. Ask for proof of planning permission. If they ever offer you a property without planning permission, I'd be very concerned. And I would question working with that developer again unless there's some real reason behind that. Get a copy of our 112 point due diligence spreadsheet and get that via my email. I will try and post that online at some point uh, so it's easier to get but just, just email me, request that 112 point due diligence and use it. You call the company or when you speak to the company ask for those documents. If that broker's unprepared to or doesn't have those documents again you have to question what due diligence they've done. Alternatively, ask them for a copy of their due diligence document. What have they investigated? What have they looked at? One of the biggest problems with the market is that the highest returning email campaigns, the marketing that gets the most inquiries, is often the worst properties, uh, the ones that are marketed with false yield figures. The investment market's relatively honest and straightforward. The products that often get offered out the most or advertised the most on these email blasts, the worst 1% in the market. The reason behind this is the worst products will often have the highest commissions paid out to brokers. These often have no due diligence or very, very little due diligence, often written on the back of a fag packet, if you will. And the... Projected yields are often wildly off and the actual price for the property, although it may, may look cheap 
you know, often you see it with these 70, 80,000 pound properties. They're often maybe 10,000 pounds overpriced. And while on paper they look great, it's like buying the cheapest Porsche from Auto Trader or a, a, you know, a car website. If you buy the cheapest one, often you find when you look under the bonnet, there's some problems with it and hence why it's been put on at that price. With property, it's the same, but often what you find is the ones with the highest yield, when you look under the bonnet, there's a bit of a problem. And as I mentioned, these are the ones that because most of the realistic brokers and the large companies, the large IFAs, big brokers like ourselves won't go near them, the developers need to offer very high commissions to the brokers who are prepared to work with them to be able to persuade them to work with it. Effectively, what this means is that a lot of these smaller brokers who don't do the due diligence and want the highest commissions for their companies possible spend the most on advertising because they need to and also they get the most amount of money in terms of um, revenue once you buy it. And so often the sort of worst 1% of the market is advertised sort of 80% of the time or, you know, maybe Pareto's law, you know, the 30-70. Now, this shouldn't mean that you're nervous about the market and, you know, far from it. All it should do is give you more commitment to doing your due diligence and getting the 112-point due diligence from Baron and Cabot or from myself, mark at baroncabot.com. You don't have to buy through us, but at the very least use that information and check with these other brokers. Conversely, a good broker can be worth their weight in gold because what they should be able to do is not only offer you due diligence, but also give you almost a whole of market. So every property that passes the due diligence, let's look at those. And from those properties that have passed the due diligence, you know, the best properties available in the market, which by the way, there's probably about 8,000 available. You don't have to, it's not a hard market to, to be able to find good stock if you do the right due diligence. But once you've done the due diligence on the properties, and a good broker will have done this on, on lots and lots and lots of properties, once that's done, then you can find the best one to suit your needs and the best one in terms of profits. So, you know, the ones that are gonna give you the best results. Ultimately, this goes back to the investment property guide, which if you don't have a copy of, again, email me, mark at Baron Cabot, which ultimately says, let's separate the wheat from the chaff and then look at the ones with the, that make the most profit for you and your personal set of circumstances in the types of areas that you want to invest in. So let's just start with all the right properties, all the stuff that you know, is there, passes the due diligence, and then from there, let's try and make a profit. Let's not start with, oh, this one looks like the highest yield. I want to make at least 8% yield. Let's start with, okay, well, here's everything that looks safe. You know, here's the stuff that's passed the due diligence. Out of those, what's the best return we can get? If you're into a yield play, let's look at yield. If you're looking for a capital growth, let's look at capital growth. If you're looking for just overall highest profit after three years, five years, 10 years, let's look at the developments that are going to suit that particular investment. So a great broker will help you with that. Finding them should be straightforward. Just do, as I say, just when you speak to a broker, get the due diligence, whittle that out very early on. In the first call, ask them for a copy of the planning permission, ask them for a copy of um, maybe the build plan, something like that. And then just use one or two questions from the due diligence form and they should be very quickly able to pass that over to you. If they say they don't have a copy, then either look for another broker or at least question a little bit further with that particular broker. You'll find that a good broker as well, 
this in your first few conversations are really interested in you, your personal set of circumstances, and what you're looking for. They'll go through a little review with yourself rather than just trying to sell that one property that you've inquired into or necessarily you know any property that they've got. If they try and push you straight onto a property without understanding you, there may be other questions to be had. This is why, again, which is difficult, I always want to speak to my clients early on. Um, the difficulty is trying to show clients as certainly novice clients that haven't worked with us before, that that initial call is not to try and sell. That initial call is to understand what are your ideas for your investment? Are you looking for a three, five, seven, ten 10-year return? Are you looking at capital growth or yield? Because the property you might have inquired on may not be the most suited for you. And also, often I have several hundred, if not thousand properties which aren't marketed for various reasons. They might be part of one of my clients' portfolios, you know, various other reasons, or they might not have been launched yet formally. And so we can't advertise them. But one of those may be the most suitable for you. So again, this is why I personally like to speak to clients, although it's difficult to get that across. A lot of clients say, oh, just email me a brochure. It, it almost takes away the whole benefit of, of using our service. But again, we, I do understand that. And, you know, I'm happy to email if needs be. So look, there's the bottom line with brokers. If you want any more, if you want to ask any more questions, do feel free to uh, email me mark at baroncabot.com. As always, we will use your Q&A or your questions if we're allowed to, if you let us to start do a Q&A on the website or on the uh, following podcast. And in the meantime, I will put together a couple more podcasts over the course of this week, looking at some other things to look for in investments, such as what to look for in a good developer, what sort of questions you should be asking to find a good developer, as well as we will go into some specific products that my clients have asked me about so we can talk about particular developments in the market at the moment. Thank you then.